0: This podcast is for mature audiences 18 and over and for entertainment purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider before pursuing any of our topics discussed. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Kat. The place to get play, sex, and nutrition talk straight to your ears. Hey, lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your playful and super dusty sex therapist, Dr. Kat. I just got home from Bernie Man literally this morning, and I'm not even going to tell you what time I got it, but let's just say that my house is now a major dust bowl, and I'm going to have to make some brownies and write a love letter to my roommate before she gets home. Trust me, girls love chocolate and love letters. <laughs> And if you've never gone before, then I'm sure you're getting annoyed with all the photos that are blowing up your Instagram and Facebook feeds of the epic landscapes and sunsets framing these gorgeous, non showered, and dust heavy bodies. Don't worry, jealousy is a natural human emotion. (laughs) This year, I had the privilege to teach one of our workshops, one of our undone yoga workshops that was just incredibly gorgeous. Um, So make sure to check out my the interview of myself (laughs) that I did about my experiences out there and everything that that I learned. Every year I go with a specific intention and I learn something so powerful about myself. My intention for this burn was to fall in love with every moment, every experience and every single person, including myself. And what that taught me was how much it was in my own power to see someone in their best qualities while interacting with them. So I noticed that I became so much more present and interested in their words and conscious to speak kindness and compassion, even in those times that I didn't want to commit to a longer conversation. And what that shows me is that love is a choice and an action that we can partake in even if we actively seek to, if we actively seek to. Imagine when we're with our own partners, if instead of seeing them in all their faults, we decided to see them in what makes them so fucking cute and lovable. It would change everything, our interactions with them, you know, how we disagree, how we argue, how we make love. So I wrote 20 love letters and passed them out to people that I had sweet connections with and was honored to even get to witness some of them being read in front of me. So I've posted some of them on Instagram at Sex Love Yoga and deemed September the month of love letters. So submit to me yours and I will feature them for everyone to become inspired. Because sometimes we forget how to love because we're in fear fear of leading someone on or getting rejected. But love at its core is a remembrance of who we are beneath everything else, all the bullshit, all these these fear and protective mechanisms. And to have that reminder from someone who sees us can be a powerful medicine for us. So today, we're going to speak on another love. And this is the love of the woman's body and all the way that she moves and operates. And I've got the badass, Dr. Lisa Vallee here to give us the 411 on what she sees as common issues for women to experience in their bodies and to really reclaim the relationship that they have with their bodies and their sexual health. But before we get to Dr. Lisa, Ladies, if you've been waiting to finally meet your wild self and step into a world that is free of all the heaviness and constriction of past messages to claim your power and pleasure, I want to invite you to come rewild with me in the Mayan jungle. Yes. Undone is taking over to loom for 6 days to unlock undo unleash your most primal pleasurable self. Embodiment practices deep dive into understanding your erotic map, song vocal activation and more. So check out UndoneYoga.com slash retreats for more information. Thank you for tuning in to Eat, Play, Sex. Check out EatPlaySex.com where we have everything for you to connect with me and read about how you can up-level your sex, love, and vitality. Ah, Now to our awesome, awesome guest, Dr. Lisa Valle. Hi. Hi. So excited to have you on today. Well, I'm excited to be here today. Too. I've been looking
1: forward to
0: this. Me too. Since our since our conversation in your office, I was just blown away with what you were sharing with me. And and I I haven't had a an OBGYN yet on the show to share yeah. with, you know, mm-hmm. what happens in her practice and what she sees from women from that perspective. Mm-hmm. So this is really wow. gonna be juicy for me. Great. Well I'm looking forward to sharing to sharing any wisdom that I might. That would be helpful. You have a lot of wisdom. Let me just start (laughs) with that. I I think we dropped in a vortex of just like talking about all the things. I was like on the edge of my seat, like uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. (laughs) So, Dr. Lisa Valle is integrative gynecologist and the owner of Oasis Women's Sen- Sexual Function Center in Santa Monica. And she focuses primarily on female sexual dysfunction concerns like decreased sex drive, inability or difficulty with achieving orgasm, arousal disorders, sexual pain condition conditions, vaginismus, vestibulitis, and <laughs> <to be> <laughs> Yeah. I'm not even going to tell you how much sleep I got last night. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. And she's been, what I love about your practice is that you've combined both evidence-based practices from the Western world and the Eastern medicine, and that you strongly believe in the holistic, integrated approach for healing. And I resonate with that fully. My hands are in the air and I'm like, Yes. Yeah,
1: I, I, um, I, I started off as a, um, so I guess I should give a story here. Um, so I'm actually a, a DO, which is a doctor of osteopathy, uh, very similar to an MDs. So we have the same training, um, same classes. Um, I actually attended, I actually completed my OBGYN residency at UC San Francisco at the Fresno campus. But hmm. uh, the emphasis, um, is a lot on lifestyle, how environment affects your health, a lot of prevention, and we're a little bit open-minded when it comes to um, um, other ideas of how to approach health. And I had a pediatrician that I was exposed to when I was young that was a DO, so that's how I ended up getting interested in it. And as I went through my training – You know, I I learned the traditional conventional way of approaching gynecology with lots of medications and things like that. And those all have their place. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of went back to my roots and trying to incorporate a lot of the things I I gained from the beginning of my training by trying to make sure that anything I see in my office, and I, I see like a lot of sexual pain disorders, for example...
0: Mm-hmm.
1: where I try to look at the whole picture and not just what's in front of me. So I try to address, you know, what, what lifestyle issues are going on. Um, what about their environment? You know, what are they exposed to? Are there emotional issues I need to get addressed and I need to refer out to a therapist or a sex therapist? Um, stress, like how is that affecting their diet, sleep, you know, all of those different things. And I try to incorporate a lot of that into my practice.
0: So when you're comparing between traditional medicine and the holistic approach, you're describing, you look at everything that could be impacting the symptoms or causing the symptoms, whereas a traditional would look at more of addressing the symptoms.
1: Yes, and you know, that being said, I think conventional medicine has, we're all trained to to do that, but to incorporate that as another, um, is another goal in each health visit. So I'm not saying that other doctors don't necessarily do that, but they don't necessarily have a lot of the time it's necessary to incorporate that into their visit. Because for example, um, if someone takes, um, you know, a lot of insurances at their office, they might, you know, a gynecologist might have to see 30, 40 patients in a day, Mm. you know, and you have maybe five or 10 minutes. Yeah, so, you know, if, if there's a lot going on, it's complicated. There isn't a lot of time to do a lot of those things. So,
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So whereas we're trying to work with the system, the insurance system, to be able to support people so they can yeah. get the help. Yeah, yeah, that limits our ability. Yes, yeah, it,
1: it, it, it
0: can. So, Yeah, yeah. And I remember walking into your office, which, by the way, is gorgeous. <laughs> it's yeah. like this splash of watercolors everywhere even on the couches I was like I don't even know how this is done but I'm loving it (laughs) (laughs) and you had these rooms you were describing to me for meditation yeah
1: so I so I designed my office um you know I grew up in an artistic background my my dad's an architect and my mom is an art teacher um and so I grew up around a lot of art so as I started to kind of re-envision myself trying to create this office, I had to come back and think, how can I incorporate this into the medical world? Because I feel like a lot of um, medical offices are, are kind of very cold, um, mm. almost too sterile. Mm. And so I came up with this idea of um, getting a bungalow, built in 1946, and renovating it into a medical office. And I tried to use, you know, very soft colors because there's a lot of um, things on interior design and and, um, color theory and how how it makes people feel. Um, I have a lot of different colors in the office for specific reasons. And one of the rooms that I have is a meditation room um, where I actually had a friend that is a light artist. And he also designed um, music that has um, binaural beats, it helps with brain entrapment to try to um, um, get someone into like a meditative state. So I, I use that room if I'm if I try to do like a procedure, like a biopsy or something that's going to or an exam that's going to hurt. Um, I usually will sit in the room for about 20 minutes.
0: You know, Whoa! So that. whole so binaural beats. Can you explain that to our listeners what that is? So
1: the bio, so binaural beats is basically a, a form of like sound wave therapy in which both the right and the left ear listen to two slightly different frequencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet they, yet the brain merges it as one. And during meditation, we use a, we actually kind of get our brain waves into a certain frequency. And so the brain tries to match whatever frequency it's listening to. So, so the theory behind it is that it helps you get into just like a deeper medit- meditative state. There aren't mm-hmm. any like, you know, large randomized control trials to show that. But I do find, you know, I myself actually use them and it actually helps quite
0: a bit. So yeah. You know, Yeah, that's what I do too. Actually, YouTube and Spotify (laughs) (laughs) when I'm in my meditation in the morning, because I'm a bouncy bunny. Like if anybody knows me, I'm like running around and all the things. And so for meditation, I'll, I have to do some sort of, whether it's breath work or if it's, Mm -hmm. you know, whether if I'm sitting still having those binaural beats helps me to just come to center and yes. drop in faster. I
1: think it helps. Think yeah. It helps. They actually use sound, um, forget, there is a medical center in New York, and I don't remember exactly which one it is, but there was a doctor that I once met, I think he's since passed, where he actually used um, sound therapy with his cancer patients.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. And what did that do for them?
1: Um, I think it just, it. he used it to treat their anxiety, uh, their depression, and um, no, really, you know it was a long time ago since I read his book, but um mm-hmm. but they incorporate that at their center. I just don't really remember which hospital it was at, but I found fascinating. Anything that makes somebody feel better, I I, I believe, you know, do no harm. So just, yeah. there aren't like huge randomized control trials on sound therapy. I I don't think there's any harm, you know, like listening to music there's no harm <laughs>
0: unless it's like raging music yes. and it's like ah, exactly. oh my God. Angry, right? or like really dark music that might yeah. not be good to do in a medical exactly. office exactly <laughs> what
1: do you think about like we use music to reflect our mood and our mood reflects our music right so it's mm-hmm. the same kind of thing I think music has definitely a uh, important factor in our lives and in how we feel
0: mm-hmm.
1: Think about driving and you keep changing the station, you know, think about your stress level and and, and why do you prefer the music that you're listening to mm-hmm. what you mean, I mean, as opposed to drinking a glass of wine at home?
0: Right. Right. Oh, those are really good points. And so to have this in your office to, to help the women to calm their anxiety, why would they experience anxiety or stress coming into, to an office? Well, you know, a
1: lot of the things that I see in my office um, are a little bit more complicated than just, you know, somebody have where to go to get their pap smear, and their, you know, the regular exam. Um, a lot of times what I see is a lot of sexual pain conditions. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when they, they've gone to the gynecologist in the past, um, maybe there wasn't enough communication to relay that, you know, the speculum that they're using for the pap smear, you know, it... it it hurts or the actual physical exam is, is hurting them. So I feel like there's oftentimes a lot of trauma, um, emotional trauma from that experience. So they tend to have a lot of anxiety. So I tried to create an office where um, where they understand that I understand that. And mm-hmm. I tried to create an environment so, so that their anxiety level would be decreased.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I remember my first gynecological visit um, with with my doctor. She, she was so amazing. First of all, she held such amazing space and constantly talking with me and asking for consent. Mm-hmm. And at 16, I was like, I don't, you know, just not aware of what was okay. What was, you know, it felt almost invasive. Um, but if she hadn't had such good communication with me, I don't know, my whole body was clenching and it could have gone way differently than it did, but she was, she was so good. And I can imagine, you know, some women may or may not have that experience and how that could impact their bodies or consent or, you know, feelings of boundaries. Yeah, consent,
1: I think, is important, particularly now that people are now aware of that. Um, You know, if I think back to my medical training, you know, I went to excellent medical schools and residencies and everything, but, you know, I remember being exposed to doctors, you know, older physicians. Um, They didn't always teach consent. You know what I mean? That's like a newer concept. I know that sounds bizarre. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's just you know it's just just yet another example of how we as women um haven't really been respected over you know in the past um, and that includes you know when it comes to medical care but um consent i think is a really really big thing that that um you should make sure that whatever doctor that you see um practices but not everybody is aware of that mm-hmm. so um i think it's important. It's, it's something important to, to, to note because I feel like it, it definitely does decrease the amount of anxiety with an exam.
0: Yeah. are you know, so
1: walking you through things, and saying, is this okay? That kind of thing. But, you know, the newer generation of doctors are being taught that. And I think now that people are more aware of it, even the older doctors are, just that it wasn't always
0: there. You know what I mean? Because was
1: sure. implied, I guess
0: because it's like this is our doctor and they're here to take care of us but then our body doesn't necessarily recognize that and our body can be feeling something uncomfortable but we it's like this dissonance in our mind of like this doesn't feel good but it's supposed to be okay but this doesn't feel good but this is somebody to trust right yes yes so true yeah. What do you think, what would be some good questions for women to ask or to look out for when they're searching for a good doctor?
1: You know, I, I always tell you the best, the best way would be word of mouth through friends. Mm, yeah. Those are actually physical people that you can talk to, ask questions about. Um, it also depends on what you're looking for. Cause if you're looking for, for example, for an obstetrician, mm. um, you know, obstetrics and gynecology, obstetrics is taking care of you when you're pregnant and mm-hmm. gynecology is, you know, all of the other types of things like, you know, pap smears and exams and, um, you know, if you have pelvic pain issues and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends because there's some OBGYNs that just do a lot of obstetrics and not so much gynecology and there's others that do mostly gynecology like myself. Um And it just kind of depends, you know, what is their emphasis. There's actually gynecologists that just do, for example, um, endometriosis. Mm. That's all they do,
0: they do endometriosis surgery um can you explain do. what that means endometriosis because that's a major one that's a common one yeah so
1: endometriosis um is a condition um it usually causes a lot of times it causes pain so i actually happen to see those patients here too um and essentially where um the the tissue that's normally found in the uterus for whatever reason is growing on other areas and over time, it's basically a, a condition of like chronic inflammation, and it can cause scarring and pain. Mm. Um, and then that pain can cause um, some pelvic floor issues with the muscles, and that's and then it just kind of perpetuates itself. They don't exactly know what causes it. There's probably a genetic component to it because um, it because it, it tends to run in families. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a hormonal aspect to it too. So. Um, so in the old days, they would, you know, we would put everybody on, you know, birth control pills and you know, try to treat their symptoms. But the newer school of thought, and it's not necessarily widely accepted yet, but um, is that sometimes people need like aggressive excisional surgery of endometriosis um, mm-hmm. to, um, to, to feel better, rather than just you know, burning the areas. It's actually removing it. So. I usually will refer to somebody that does it on a regular basis. Just mm-hmm. like, for example, any kind of procedure that a woman has. Like, for example, if they're going to go get a laparoscopic myomectomy, which is like when they remove fibroid, you want to go to somebody that actually does that particular surgery on a regular basis mm-hmm. a lot of them, not just somebody that does it once a year. So that so, so that would be a time to kind of ask questions at the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Without, without being, you know, attacking, we're just kind of asking questions like, you know, do you do this, you know, on a regular basis or, you know, find other people that that they've had that surgery with that particular doctor,
0: you know, mm-hmm.
1: how did it go, that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like doing your research and not being afraid to ask questions for yourself because yeah. you're yeah. advocating for yourself and you're tr- just trying to see if this is a good fit. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. So you, you're talking about, because I know you don't do so much of the pap smears, but you're, you're very specialized in what you do. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of common, common issues do you see come into your office? Or what are common vaginal health issues that women might experience? Who would see you? So
1: the most common thing I see here is painful sex. Mm-hmm. That can be for an array of different things. Um, One of them in particular is something called vestibulodynia. So the vestibule is the opening of the vagina. Mm -hmm. And vestibulodynia is, so IA is pertaining to, DIN is pain, so pertaining to pain of the vestibule. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot, and there's, there's different theories. You have to kind of figure out exactly what, why, um, this particular person is having this sort of pain. Sometimes it's hormonal. Sometimes it's infectious. Sometimes it's a pelvic floor muscle issue. Um, Mm It just kind of depends. Um, Sometimes it's an infection that hasn't been recognized. Um, So that's one of the more common things that I see. um, Also from endometriosis, Um, like Mm -hmm. there's, I think they say. I think the, late, the last thing I heard was that it takes usually 11 years for a person to be diagnosed with it, with um, endometriosis.
0: What? Um, Why? Why yeah. is it so long? So,
1: I think it's just because um, in the in in the past they used to say that you had to um, the way that some doctors were trained, you had to use a laparoscopy, which is where we put little holes in the belly and look to see if you see the endometriosis. And then if you don't see it, then they don't have it, which is not true because oh. you can actually have microscopic endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they just never have a laparoscopy and they say, oh, that they just have painful cramps. So, mm-hmm. Or sometimes they never you know, see a gynecologist and they're seeing a family practice doctor who may not necessarily recognize that this person has endometriosis. So mm-hmm. usually over, over time, their periods might like get heavier and more painful and that sort of thing. So by the time that they come to see me, they may not recognize that they have that and then I'll figure out. Oh, they have vestibulodynia, and it's actually um, pain from the pelvic floor muscles that have tightened up and have kind of like you know referred pain to the to the openings causing the pain. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that would be an example of something like that. But um, but yeah, there's, there's all sorts of different reasons why people come here. But that's that's one of the more common reasons. Mm-hmm. I think now that we have, I want to say, just an overall women's movement where we're finally, you know, taking our power back in terms of um, recognizing that we're equally important in
0: Mm -hmm. politics
1: and healthcare and the workplace and things like that. Um, You know, it used to be, and I still hear it now, where people would say they kind of power through the pain when they have sex for their partner. Yeah. Um, Mm. I think now they recognize, oh, you know, I shouldn't be having pain. Yeah. So
0: yeah yeah you deserve to have pleasurable sex yeah Yeah. and how many women have um come to my office regarding you know sexual pain and been told by their doctors that they're making it up in their head or that it's something that's yeah that's that's very fortunate i know yeah, and it's so it's important to be able to come to you to figure out what it, this is coming from, like a muscle mm-hmm. or a bacteria infection or a trauma or.
1: Yeah. Now, I will say that sometimes, you know, like I said, I think it's, I think that is an example of just like our overall what's kind of wrong with our healthcare because, mm-hmm. you know, and just like there's, you know, in every profession there's bad doctors and there's good doctors and that sort of thing. I don't necessarily think. I think a lot of that sometimes is just the fact that they see so many patients in a short amount of time, and they have to hurry up and make a quick judgment—right, right, right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm not excusing that behavior, Mm -hmm. Um, but my my suggestion to someone that if they have sexual pain and their doctor tells them, um, you know, "Oh, you're just making up words in your head," then to to get a second opinion, and a third opinion, and a fourth opinion. Yeah. If they have pain, they have pain.
0: Yeah. So. Wow. Yeah. And then you also. Um, what else do you see that's been been common for women? So probably the hardest
1: thing for to 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 treat is when they come to me because they have decreased desire that they perceive. Mm-hmm is stressful. Sometimes a sex therapist will send them here just to make sure there isn't like a hormonal component to it. So, and sometimes there is, um, but sometimes they might find me on their own and then I end up sending them to a therapist, um, because there's actually maybe some history of trauma or psychological issues. Some, sometimes there's a hormonal issue or sometimes it's an issue with them, with their current medications that they're on that's causing that. Um, sometimes there's pain. A lot, of, a lot of times there's actually pain involved that they don't really recognize as pain. And then I always tell them, you know what? Um, every time you have sex, if you have pain, over time your brain's going to tell you, "Don't you don't want this anymore because it hurts. Mm. Um, it's like your brain trying to protect itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of times, sometimes I'll come in here with that, but in the end I'll actually have discovered something else that's happening. If it's... it's if it's not any of the other things that we just discussed, or there's or there's multiple issues going on. There might be some marriage issues that maybe they don't feel comfortable seeing a therapist yet, and then I finally might have a conversation why that's important for them to go see a therapist, or uh, you know, or a marriage counselor, or a sex therapist. Just kind of depends on what's going on, um, but because I still think there's that stigma for mental health that needs that we need to get rid of.
0: Mm-hmm preach that mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah so it's like the body is reflecting hey look at me pay yeah. attention to me something's going on and we got to figure it out but only if you listen to my voice Yes. snore it for you know and put up with it we mm-hmm. condition to put up with discomfort mm. no. yep. we'll be okay right mm-hmm. um, and then um I'm aware that the vaginal microbiome and the pH is really sensitive for women and causes a lot of experiences like inflammation and um, bacterial vaginosis. And um, what would you say is important for women to know about these and how they can support that microbiome? And maybe, maybe we need to start there. What does that even mean, microbiome? So, my, my, microbiome basically
1: just refers to the normal, or, or the bacteria flora, that's either on your skin, in the vagina, in the mouth, and we have it everywhere, in the gut. That's like a science that's continuing to evolve, because every week you'll see some more research studies on microbiome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, don't, <coughs> excuse me. they don't exactly completely understand all of it and its implications um but in the vagina we have bacteria called lactobacilli it's mm-hmm. supposed to be there it's, it's considered our quote-unquote good bacteria and essentially what that does is it secretes something called lactic acid and hydrogen peroxide um and your pH should be more or less between 3.8 and 4.5 or so. And when that pH is off, and that's usually before menopause, it's usually higher in, in menopause. But um, mm. if something is kind of off, like you, like you get an alteration of the bacterial flora in there, which is what occurs in bacterial vaginosis, where you have one bacteria that's kind of outgrowing the good bacteria. So, mm. Imbalance um, hmm. that 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 pH kind of um, gets altered. That that can be a sign. That lactic acid and hydrogen peroxide, normally that's produced by that healthy bacteria, helps to keep the hormonal bacterial maloo like you know very balanced. And when that's kind of off, that's when you get like a bacterial infection or yeast infection or something like that. So there isn't. I usually tell people do not douche. That's mm-hmm. That's actually, you know, there's all these things that are sold over the counter, you know.
0: Yeah. So
1: feminine cleanse and that sort of thing. Um, but that actually can make things worse. So I usually tell people do not douche. Your body knows how to, you know, cleanse itself out. Naturally, and if there is an issue where there's an odor that um, is not normally present or it smells musty or you have increased discharge or irritation, then that's when you need to go to the doctor to figure out exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they might be sensitive to you know, lubricants that they're using or types of commons that they're using
0: or they are douching and they're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Know, a lot of different things can affect that. Yeah, like glycerin in the in the lube. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I always check my, um, or in the past, I've you know checked the um, my OBGYN. I was like, can I read the ingredients on the lube first? <laughs> 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 because I just didn't want it. I didn't want the sugar. Yeah, well, sometimes I tell people if they're
1: really, really sensitive um, to any lubricants and they're going to go to their regular gynecologist to go get their pastor, they can bring their own lube. Oh really? Yeah, I mean, just say you know when I get recurrent infections, and because you know I'll be honest, like the kinds of um, gel that they have usually in an office is usually just medical grade gel. It's not, uh-huh. there's not, there's it's not necessarily appropriate for the pH and something. So I mean, some someone that's not sensitive, you know, they 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 can use the gel in the office. It's not going to affect them, but somebody that already has recurring, you know, yeast or bacterial vaginosis problems.
0: And they're really sensitive to the um, any kind of lubricants. So we can always bring the lubricant. Yeah, I'm going to bring my organic strawberry flavored mm-hmm. lube and my <laughs> <laughs> <Dr>. lube. <laughs> What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> it's going it's gonna be fun. Let's do it. <laughs> And then um with so one thing that that people have asked me many questions on is are things like um you know uh, herbal remedies and these home remedies and things like boric acid to be able to help them what's your take on things like that
1: So <clears throat> I I don't advocate treating yourself because you don't know exactly what's going on down there. You always want to be tested to, to see exactly what's going on so that you know what treatments to give because sometimes people think they have the tear vaginosis and they actually have yeast and vice versa, or sometimes they have, um, you know, some other condition and they don't, they don't necessarily know. So number one, I always think before you're using anything, you want to go to, to your doctor first. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number two, we do like, Boric acid can help, but you want to make sure you're using the right dosage. And you know, we usually compound that if somebody needs it. I don't recommend. I don't necessarily recommend going to go figure that out on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, those are some of those things. And so, some of the herb, like herbal remedies haven't necessarily been studied enough. So you have to be really, really careful because sometimes you can be very, very sensitive to um, things and not know it. And you're, if you're going to be putting something inside the vagina. That's very very sensitive tissue. Yeah. So I, I I can't necessarily advocate that someone's going to do that on their own. It's mm-hmm.
0: the I don't know
1: if it's safe or not.
0: Yeah. So say we. So say we have a, a more traditional Western doctor who, um, you know. Uh, prescribes antibiotics mm-hmm. to be able to handle that and mm-hmm. and and we want something that's more natural. What what is a way that we could um, have conversation with the doctor about some of these other strategies or other ways of working with the body? So
1: then I would say I would have a conversation. Um, you know some and I will put an ad in that I'm not against antibiotics because essentially sometimes it's needed. The people that I see are the ones like with recurrent BB where they will they've already done like Metrogel for like weeks on end and um, all of these different types of antibiotics and it hasn't helped. Mm -hmm. Um, But if it's just a normal, you know, I have this discharge, they diagnose you with bacterial vaginosis and they don't want that antibiotic, they can just have a conversation and say, you know, do you mind if we try boric acid? Can you prescribe that? And usually most doctors will because most are familiar with something like that. And that actually can treat both yeast and BV, depending on what's going on.
0: Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, that's one of those moments where it's like, I don't know. Can I ask these questions? Can I speak up for myself and and get quiet about it? Because we just want to, you know, treat it and trust whoever is, you know, holding that space for us.
1: Yeah. I mean, that being said, like the like the drug of choice is usually fragile. Mm -hmm. It's usually we do try to treated vaginally because that doesn't affect the lactobacillus the healthy bacteria mm-hmm. um, but sometimes some doctors will prescribe it orally and a lot of people might have like they don't like the, the the taste of the metallic taste in their mouth or it affects their GI tract and their bowel movements and they don't feel good they just have to communicate you know why they don't want that particular treatment without necessarily attacking i guess
0: yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, further on the microbiome, I had read about where you could have partner macro microbiome incompatibility. Do you, what do you know about that? Or what does that even mean for somebody?
1: So there, so there are, so there have, there has been a study showing that for example, living with a significant other can modify our microbial profile, but Mm. only to a certain extent. And they don't necessarily know the implications of that. Mm -hmm. So when they talk about that, um, when you're living with somebody's, you know, because I think that they looked at their skin, and at their mouth, that they're like you know at their feet and things like that. Um, so you'll kind of take over some of your partner's microbiome, but you still have your own um, profile too that's still there. But they don't necessarily know the implications of that. So sometimes with BV, um, you know, they've always gone back and forth of whether or not. It's something that's affected by the partner. By the time that they come to see me, um, sometimes we have a chat about that because I'll have them use condom while they're being treated mm-hmm. to make sure that they're not passing something back and forth between the partner. But it, it isn't necessarily even studied. So it's, it's something that I can't really say, yes, You know, this definitely affects your microbiome and your vagina. Yeah. haven't studied us enough to show that just because just like anything else, there, there aren't really enough studies on women, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. 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 I, I had heard some women having difficulty with um, or having reactions and swelling happen because of the, their partner's sperm entering. In yeah, that,
1: that's that's a little bit something different. Oh, okay. um, they can actually have an allergy um, and oh. that's when they actually send them to the allergist. And they actually do allergy testing, and then they can actually go undergo desensitization. Like, oh my god! Wow, yeah, that's a little bit something different because that's that's actually and uh, it's very very rare, but it does happen.
0: Um, <sighs> it's an
1: allergy to something in the semen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh my gosh. There's so much that, that again, I highly advocate for women to, you know, tune into the body, listen to the intelligence there and and seek help because we don't have to just push through all of this. We don't have to perpetuate that. Very, very true. So this thing that I see on TV, uh, I don't because I've never seen it in real life, or at least it hasn't come to okay. my office. But, but the, the concept of um, persistent genital arousal, mm-hmm. what? Because I think about that and I was like, yeah, I want to be aroused all the time. <laughs> <But they're, laughs> no, you don't. Like, this is not good. And I'm like, oh, okay, tell me what, what is that? <laughs> yeah.
1: So it was first, I think it was first described in 2001. Not, not that it wasn't around before then, but it was first described in 2001 in the literature. Um, but it's what's called persistent genital arousal disorder. And it's basically when we, when someone has unwelcome, intrusive, unwanted, Persistent sensation um, like discomfort, pressure, like a pounding, throbbing, engorgement, that sort of thing in the genital area, Mm -hmm. completely unassociated with any sexual interest. So that can occur like over the clitoris, over the labia, the vagina, perineum, and the anus. And so even if they, for example, have an orgasm, it does not. relieve the symptoms and in fact sometimes it makes it worse um and so basically they constantly you know some people it can occur different times of the day there's others that it can that it can occur all the time and they don't necessarily completely understand exactly what causes it there's there's theory as far as the the, uh, mechanism but um it's associated um with a lot of depression, um, mm-hmm. a lot of them have, um, you know, suicide attempts and things as such, unfortunately. Mm. Because it's not necessarily recognized, you know. It's, it's always hard when somebody has a rare medical condition. Um, because a lot of times, you know, they don't, there's a lot of doctors that, are, that don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. so.
0: So this is different than the way you described it. It's not that you desire the sex. It's the physical reaction of, yes. or physical arousal happening. Yes. Yes.
1: The theory behind it is that um, somehow there's like some kind of sensory input. Okay. And versus either... There's some kind of chemical reaction with either overexcitation or you or not being inhibited and that's when it comes to the the sexual arousal reflex center. So we have all of these um, different um, things like, for example, dopamine, oxytocin. Mm -hmm. things like that are very you know stimulating but what inhibits it and you need this balance when you're going to have an orgasm is serotonin prolactin opioids you actually have natural um, things endocannabinoids things like that and there's a natural balance between the two and somehow that balance is off that's a theory but Mm -hmm. not necessarily no, but it can be caused by a whole a whole bunch of different things. Like um, there can be musculoskeletal things, like for example, um, hypertonic pelvic floor dysfunction, where the pelvic floor is very tight and affects the nerves. There can be a vascular issue, uh, a neurological issue, like for example, in the in the spine. Um, it can be pharmacological issues, like the medications that they're on. Sometimes initiating or withdrawing from, like for example, like an SSRI. Mm-hmm. For- Depression, can cause it. Um sometimes it's psychological um, it's almost like they're like um, it's kind of, it's kind of like they're like in, in a high sympathetic drive kind of like they're just very very stressed out yeah stress like will worsen this condition so there isn't really any like recognized safe and effective evidence-based treatment for it i mean there's sometimes we'll try to figure out you know can we can we, can we find a cause is there something going on in their spines so you can do an mri for that is there something going on in their pelvic floor like how is their stress up stress worsens it so how can we teach them things to um try to control their stress response or manage their stress response um, sometimes there's nerve blocks if there's a nerve issue there's also like medications that we can sometimes give that anecdotally can sometimes help. They're kind of experimental, but at this point because this condition is so rare, um, there's not a whole lot of research on it. Mm-hmm. But we also incorporate always a psychologist um, or a therapist that will teach them you know some kind of relaxation things also
0: cognitive behavioral therapy things like that yeah yeah and here's that you know again the holistic looking at everything beyond just the symptom to be able to support and the core pieces of it or discover what that is yeah yeah and then for women who gosh i'm thinking about like i i do a lot of practices to take care of my my vaginal health and I wonder Mm -hmm. if there's anything and a lot of them are relaxation like relaxing my pelvic floor and Mm -hmm. um, you know uh, those kinds of things and Mm -hmm. I I wonder if there's any practices that you can give women to help them support their vaginal health
1: so I always advocate so in my office I have a mirror so I always show them their vulva Mm -hmm. condition I go over anatomy with them and there's a mirror and I always advocate that at home just even just if somebody didn't have you know what I see in my office in the regular clinical jobs to use a mirror like once a month like you know we look at our skin right looking for moles every so often um, we do breast checks right once mm-hmm. a month, so I think the same should be said for getting a mirror and once in, and once a month looking at the vulva, seeing if there's any changes, and then if there's anything that concerns you. So this so this way you get to know your body and your comfort level, mm-hmm. um, because I think that a lot of times, as I've done this um, mirror exercise in the office. Um, a lot of people are are uncomfortable with looking at themselves in the mirror because they don't look at themselves in the mirror or they never have.
0: Yeah. Wow. Um,
1: And I feel like that's important. Just as just like it's important to go get your teeth cleaned and, you know, um, get your skin checked for moles and things like that. I think it's important. I also think too, um, you know, that being said too, um, mindfulness of how your body feels. I I think, Mm. um, You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a woman in my office say, well, you know, I guess I've had pain for a while, but I just haven't paid attention to it.
0: Mm. Yeah. And
1: I feel that, you know, a lot of times as women, we're busy taking care of other people and kind of one of, you know the last person that we take care of is ourselves, right? Yeah. So I think it's important to just, you know, kind of check in with with yourself. And when you do have discomfort, like ask, you know,
0: Yeah, yeah, and I I know that I can speak for myself. And one of my practices is a mindfulness. It's very meditate. It's a meditation, essentially. But um, when I'm exploring my vulva, you know, uh, some you know for pleasure, but also for not just tuning in and anchoring down, because I can find myself getting you know shooting up into my my headspace so much, and how that Mm -hmm. translates into the bedroom or into our Mm -hmm. own pleasure practices. Definitely. I'm hearing you say, you know, be mindful of your body and the voices that your body's saying, but also like practice dropping into our pelvic floor.
1: Definitely. I definitely agree with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, amazing! Oh my God, this just zoomed by so fast. Did it 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 <laughs> oh, we're texting again? I wonder if there's anything that you'd love to leave with our women and our men, because I get a lot of men who send me messages and they're like, "Oh my God, I learned so much about women in this episode, and I had no idea that women experience this or this is what was going on in their minds." So, is there something that you would like to leave our listeners with today? Hmm, that's that's, that's a difficult question for me. (laughs) (laughs) It's a loaded question. It's like, here, give me all your secrets now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I just think, um, you know, I'm a a big advocate for um, women's health. And like I kind of said, just what I just said before, I think it's important to um, emphasize that I think that, You know, sex should be a pleasurable experience if that's something that's important to you. Mm -hmm. And I think, as you know, over time, I think we've kind of de-emphasized that. And I feel like now is a time that women are actually um, realizing because of what's going on in you know our political climate and whatnot that they're important too, just as their, their pleasure is just as important as their partner's, as as their partner's pleasure. And so, um, that's what I'm here for. Like, just, just, just to try to, um, um, what's the word for it? I'm trying to think of the appropriate word, trying to like live their best life. So to, so to speak, if that's
0: something that they want. Ah, yeah, yeah. Right. You deserve pleasure. You have every yeah. right to have pleasure and take space and 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 claim your sex life and relationship with your body. Yeah. Yeah. She's such oh my god, Dr. Lisa, you're such a great cheerleader. <laughs> <Everyone> <laughs> She's like, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> do it <for> <laughs> how can how can people find out more about you?
1: So I um so I have a website. I'm gonna start a blog soon. I know this is like, gonna sound Yay! horrible, but um I just haven't had the time. But um I do have a website. It's um the abbreviation of my office, which is Oasis Women's Sexual Function Center So it's OWSFC.com. And they can also find me on Instagram and Twitter uh, at the same. So it's at O W S F C.
0: Amazing, and I'll put all of that in the notes. Yeah, all of that in the notes for everybody to be able to just easily click and get all of that juicy information and connection. So, thank you so much, Dr. Lisa. Thank you for having me. This was actually lots of fun. Yeah, it was so enlightening, and I and I can tell that you know people need a place to go when they have all these questions. They just don't know where to go. So yeah, yeah. Lovers, I want to thank you again for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please head to eatplaysex.com to subscribe to the show, connect with us and grab our sexy guides because our goal here is to help you to eat, play and sex better so you can improve your sex life, which will improve every aspect of your life. I'll see you next time on Eat, Play, Sex. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You can find out more about our guests and topics from our show by checking out eatplaysex.com. Until next time, don't forget to nourish your sex life.